Welcome to Survive and Thrive, where Oklahomans reflect on COVID-19 and racism. Survive and Thrive is a 24-episode podcast series where our team will interview Oklahomans across a diverse spectrum as how to survive and thrive during the twofold crisis of the health and racial pandemics. Oklahomans are no stranger to tragedy. The state's history is checkered with traumas such as the Dust Bowl, Tulsa Race Massacre, Trail of Tears, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Out of those tragedies was born the Oklahoma Standard. Now, as the state once again grapples with hardship, this time with COVID-19 and racial heartache, we will hear from multiple Oklahomans who must once again learn to survive and thrive. We are your hosts, Carolee Langford and Brooklyn Wayland. We are here with Noah Nichols, who is a student at the University of Oklahoma, and he is part of the LGBTQ community. So Noah, tell us about your background. So I'm Noah Nichols. I was born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and grew up in Moore, Oklahoma with my dad, the youth pastor, and my stepmom, Amanda. Wonderful, amazing people. I had a somewhat unique background as a gay person. Uh, I started realizing quickly after watching the TV show Glee and discovering <laughs> that gay people exist, um, yes. <laughs> I identified with something there. <laughs> yeah. um, didn't really know what that was, but um, as someone fortunate enough to grow up with the internet, started doing a lot of research as a 12-year-old, uh, like why do I want to wear fancy clothes? <laughs> and I slowly found this thing called bisexual. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense because I couldn't be gay because that's a sin. But I never heard the word bisexual at church before. So like mm. that that can't be the sin. Again, I was a preteen, so I didn't have any like real idea of uh, right, what that meant. Right. But um, started exploring that and came out and did not go very well. Um, mm. Everyone had some adjusting to do. Everything is great now with my family. Um, and then, so that allowed me to start really coming into my identity as a queer person outside of just being someone who is attracted to men. Mm. Um, because I, I do think there's a distinction there, but I started figuring out what it meant for me to live authentically because I was given an environment to do so. Wow. And in high school, I started looking around and realizing, oh, wow, there are a lot of 12-year-old Noahs everywhere I look. Um, <laughs> yeah. People that are different, but haven't ever taken the time to reflect on why that might be. And so mm -hmm. I started my high school's Gay Straight Alliance, which was a super cool thing that our first meeting had over 50 people there. Oh, and wow. um, it just really grew and evolved throughout my senior year and was like one of my still proudest accomplishments. Now I go to OU, I study human relations, and I do drag part-time. I'm, I'm what, what they would call a bedroom queen, um, as in my, my audience is typically my roommates. Um, <laughs> and I have done one drag show, Miss STI, here at OU okay. um, as Stasia Heist, my uh, drag persona. Love. But uh, now I am about to graduate and see what happens. Yeah. So walk us through a little bit specifically of the experience of coming out in a very conservative state? So 
It was not easy. Um, I, I know I kind of jumped over the whole coming out segment, but it was, um, it was hard. Um, yeah. so I didn't have the opportunity to come out as, as like the traditional, uh, way you think of it, of sitting down your parents, um, telling them you're, you have this well thought out script of what you'd like to say. Mm -hmm. But, um, instead I, sent out a mass text in sixth grade to everyone in the sixth grade because oh I gosh. thought that was appropriate. <laughs> um, and so I did that and I got in trouble for something completely unrelated. And um, my math teacher takes me out into the hallway and she says, okay, so you need to go to the principal's office and you're going to tell your dad what you did. And also you need to tell him about the things you've been texting people about yourself oh, because wow. you don't have, you don't have any business telling people that. Oh, so what? Yeah. Yeah. No, this <laughs> And so I got, I went to the principal's office and I called my dad and, um, and I was just like, Hey, um, so I did, I, I think I had like written in some, one of my friend's journals, like bad words, but anyway, and so I told him that <laughs> uh -huh. and I was like, and also, um, well, there's like, there's something else, um, but I can't talk about it right now and I'll, I'll talk about it when I get home. <laughs> and so I go home and just like sit there and just shaking, crying, so scared. Oh, and I can imagine. I tell my dad, and bless his heart, he he is he has grown and evolved in ways I never thought were possible. But he did not um, respond well, mm -hmm. um, and he responded as someone who has grown up in Oklahoma his entire life, grown up very involved in the church his entire life hmm. and came came from a place of fear and w and heard that I am going to hell that I am hmm. you know you know it and so it wasn't just oh I'm attracted to men mm -hmm, it, right. it, it couldn't be that simple it was like you you're he's someone who grew up watching the the AIDS pandemic in the 80s. He's someone right. who has very, very limited experience with gay people mm -hmm. before me, and I was 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he was a scared dad, and um, it, 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 he expressed it as anger. Um, and it, it, I mean, and it wasn't, I, I was very fortunate to not have the experience that so many LGBTQ people do of being kicked out of my house or disowned right. or, you know, just being completely um, deprived of resources. But it was it, it was hard. And I, I went back in the closet. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, the Bible says that I can't like men. So, like, I can't like men. That's that's just not who I am. And then um, I somehow, somewhere in between going back in the closet and coming out as gay, I just realized like, oh, I'm not attracted to women at all. I've just kind of been taught to be. And mm -hmm. girls that I liked that were my friends, I thought that inherently implied, oh, I like them. Because, I mean, 
everyone's experienced it. You're from, yeah. from when you're five years old, there's a boy and a girl together and you're like, oh, is that your boyfriend? Mm. Is that your girlfriend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, we really internalize that. And like, I don't, it's something very unique to being in LGBTQ, whether you're gay, mm-hmm. whether you're trans, that you have to unpack, like unpack and relearn mm. who you are. Yeah. And it's just taught in little moments and little ways throughout our entire lives that you have to be like, oh, pause. Like, this is this is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Tell me about your experience as an LGBTQ advocate in Oklahoma. What is it like? What challenges have you faced? So some of the challenges that I personally have had to face um, that they started with just very personal relationships, you know, having to, through my existence, defy stereotypes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that that really turned into a complex of feeling like, oh, I need to, for the gay community, I must be the most straight passing, barely even gay. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. gay through... Yeah. My attraction, you know, it keeps going back to that idea of the difference between being gay and being queer. So it started for me with my parents, my family, you know, those tough conversations. And then it really evolved with the GSA in high school, you know, once I, and that was only able to happen because I had people like the teacher who sponsored the club, the other people who helped organize everything, you know, it really took a, community. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like all I've ever done is start an idea. You know, I I like Mm. to I like to see a need in the world and then try and look around and be like, okay, how can we start to address this? Um, You know, and so my my activism is really through just trying to be an example, I suppose, be vocally authentic uh, you know, I think that is inherently activism, no matter who you are, being yourself proudly and not trying to conform to any anything is activism. Yeah. Do you think that maybe some of the challenges that you faced for someone your age might be a little bit different from the challenges someone who's in a part of the LGBTQ community who's maybe a little bit older? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, my best friend, she has said a few times, like, oh, it'd be great to live in this decade. And I think we've all, like, joked about that before. Like, <laughs> oh, I, I'd have a great life in the 20s. And yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's not true uh, for pretty much anyone but uh like affluent white cis people you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i'm um i i i am a white cis person i i feel like i should uh, acknowledge that but my age specifically has allowed so many opportunities right. i graduated high school being able to get married legally in this country in mm-hmm. any state you know i that, that just 40 years ago there was the AIDS pandemic and the gay community was being like silenced um, Mm, and this epidemic was being completely ignored by our government and Mm. by just everyone that it wasn't killing. Um, And Mm. so I think that it is important to acknowledge how much work the 
generations before us had to put in within the LGBTQ community. Um, and uh, many, many of them didn't get to live to see the, the beauty of how much freedom we've gained in just the past 20 years. You know, I, I, I am so privileged to have people on TV that look like me, that act like me, that being gay isn't just funny. It isn't just uh, being a sexual deviant person, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. being. Yeah, that's it. It's just being. That's just what it is. So throughout this podcast, we've kind of been talking about the Oklahoma standard, um, which growing up in Oklahoma, I'm sure you've heard. What does the term mean to you and how would you define it? Sure. So I, I definitely have heard the the term Oklahoma standard yeah. many times. Um, and I I think the meaning of it has evolved a lot for me, especially just in my time at OU, just um, really experiencing a lot of the things that we have in our time in college um, with what Oklahoma really is. Um, but I think the Oklahoma standard, how I would define it, is as simple as kindness. I think it's, uh, I don't know, there, there, I could spend a whole two hours talking about kindness, but it's just being able to see, see pain and, and address it. You know, when, when we think of the Oklahoma standard, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think the term started after the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And so, it, I mean, it, it came out of great tragedy and I, at the root of it, I mean, there was so much pain and trauma, but how, what was the Oklahoma standard there? It was being, it, it was kindness. It was love. Right. It was these things of, I may live in the panhandle of Oklahoma, but I felt the Oklahoma City bombing. And I'm, I'm, I'm just hmm. speaking metaphorically. But, you know, right. I, I think it, it all boils down to recognizing what we all share, which hmm. is our humanity, if you really look at it. But on a more simple level, it's being an Oklahoman. Do you feel like that's been applied to the LGBTQ community in, in Oklahoma specifically? Um, well... Please speak freely. Yes. Um, so frankly, no, but I think I, I think people in Oklahoma, much more than people in m- more, more staunchly conservative places, are willing to listen, are willing to understand. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in Oklahoma up until recently just didn't know a gay person didn't know that they knew a trans person you know and so it's really easy to have all of these beliefs about people without uh without ever interacting with them Mm -hmm. but more specifically i mean to this day the oklahoma city pd is not allowed to go to the 39th street district and the gay the gay bar district in oklahoma city unless they are called there um, this is because, oh, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up these dates, but I I believe early '80s, late '70s, these same bars. Well, one bar, Angels, was still there, and it was. So you know how fraternities have like their initiations, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So OKCPD, um, they would take their fresh recruits out, um, and they would go to Angels, and they would just 
beat up gay people. They, they would oh take their gosh. fresh recruits, and that was their first like their first night. That's what they went and did. Um, and it because there were laws against being gay, against wearing clothing that was not of your assigned gender. Yeah. Um, and so they 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 would just get away with it. Mm-hmm. And finally, they it was happening night after night at one point in time, and it, it became not just like an initiation thing. It was just a nightly routine. Um, and so some people spoke up and finally some Oklahomans listened that weren't being affected by it. And that that basically led to what we have today of the police were like, okay, we will leave you alone. And unless you call us, we will let you exist freely. And you know, what a, what a nice gift, let hmm. you exist. <laughs> hmm. Wow. So historically, Oklahoma has had a tough time of coming to terms with its history given, well, the instance that you just named that I didn't know happened until literally just now. So that's kind of earth shattering. Um, And then also like the Tulsa race massacre that some people are just now, you know, learning about its truth and its history right now. Do you feel this is an issue when referring to the LGBTQ community as well? Um, yes, yes, I do. I think, you know, I, I also learned, I, I learned most of what I did about the Tulsa race massacre in the past two years, you know, and I think that's such a shame. Um, I didn't learn about that situation with the Angels nightclub until two semesters ago. So one year ago, James Cooper, the first uh, the first gay city council person in Oklahoma, is representing Oklahoma City right now. And he, he came and gave a talk to one of my human relations courses. And he told us this story and just really gave us a lot of information that I feel like I should know. I don't know where I would have gotten that information, but I'm just yeah. like, I feel entitled to know yeah. that. But how, you know, that's... 30 minutes away from here and not that long ago, you know, exactly. and, um, and I, I do think to talk about the race massacre in the same way, I, I think that the LGBTQ community, especially white people in that community are more privileged in the fact that we have gained such radical acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it has happened so quickly that we are let into spaces, we are given these privileges. Um, I think that the issues with our warped view of Oklahoma's history Mm. is, it's uncomfortable. It it is uncomfortable for everyone. You Mm. know, that, that story that's about the Angels nightclub, I mean, that, that was painful for me. Um, I and I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not easy for a non-queer person to hear that either. Yeah. But but you hear that and you think, what am I supposed to do about it? Mm. And I think that's something that you also see with the Tulsa race massacre. Of people hear that and it's so heartbreaking that not only that it happened, but b that we weren't told. And, mm-hmm. and then so you think, but what am I supposed to do about that? How can I fix it? Right. You can fix it by listening. I think that's that's the first the f- first place you got to start at. Hmm. But you know, it's just it's just a shame that 
you, I, I don't, I don't know if y'all have had a serious experience, but my memories of Oklahoma history when we took it in the ninth grade in high school was basically there was a land run. It was mm-hmm. awesome and <laughs> super like pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and yep. work together and make something out of nothing. And I think people like to pretend that that is just the perfect embodiment of the Oklahoma standard. Mm-hmm. Um, which is revealing if you start to really look at what the land run was like. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think we have such a um, self-serving view of our own history right now in Oklahoma. Well, I won't say right now, uh, because I think people are shutting their mouths and, and listening and having sure. these really hard conversations. But yeah, I, ju- I just think that we have been lied to um, mm-hmm. through through avoiding the truth, you know? It, right. It's not like we are told a different story about the, the gay history of Oklahoma. We're just told there isn't one. Yeah. It is avoided altogether. And so it it's important that we share those stories and keep our history alive because I think it's important to look back and say, within my father's lifetime, right, within most people our age's parents' lifetimes, there was a very, very different Oklahoma mm-hmm. um, that wasn't good, that wasn't yeah. uh, not good for everyone. And so I think it's just important to keep recognizing that, like, n- now that doesn't mean that everything is okay now. Uh, right. So who is still, who is still being hurt now? While, while we look back at our history, I think it tells us that, we're probably ignoring some groups of people that need to be heard. Yeah. And as we start to grapple like with that history, how do you think we we move forward and we ensure that that doesn't happen again? I mean, we're in the middle of a huge um, health pandemic, racial upheaval, and we've seen that throughout this past year. How do we move forward and say it's not going to happen this time? Well, I think... The only, I don't know who originated the quote, but one of my favorite quotes, it's written on my planner and on my mirror, um, and just everywhere I go, I try and think it. Uh, The only way out is through. Um, Anything Mm -hmm. that you've got to deal with, you you can't just step out of it and say, oh, we're, we're, the protest is over, so race issues are fixed here. Yeah. If that was the case, then why have we had to have so many protests? So mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think that the, the way we get through, though, is to listen. And I, I, I feel like I, uh, I'm a skipping record, but I, I do think that you you listen to a person when they're in pain. You know, I, I think if we all li- viewed the world as doctors and said, okay, I'm going to listen to you first. You tell me what is wrong. What is your pain? What are, what are you experiencing? And what is your history? And then we can finally start to say, okay, now how are you and I, to keep using the doctor metaphor, going to come up with a treatment plan? You know, a doctor doesn't walk in and say, here are your issues, here's your medicine, take it, and everything will be fine. Right. 
I don't, I wouldn't trust that doctor. I wouldn't take that medicine. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's crucial that we, we start with listening to the pain before we try and medicate it. How do you feel that Oklahomans can learn from our experience that we're dealing with now and we can, we can move forward. Um, how, how do we come back more resilient and more better? What, what is a new normal going to look like for us? Well, um, I hope that a new normal, first of all, just involves more community than we had before this pandemic began. You know, I think mm. it, it's something I constantly complain about to my friends. And <laughs> I mean, even more so now, but now they're like, yeah, we get it. Shut up. Is that I just, <laughs> we, we, we shut ourselves off from one another and we, we get trapped in our own little bubbles, our own little expectations and ideas of what the world should be rather than building the world that we need together, you know, and it, it, it's the new normal is going to look like there are different people leading these conversations. And I think that is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think I think such good has come out of these past two years of deep reflection that I feel like our country has had to face. Mm -hmm. Really look at its ugliest parts because, I mean, that's the only way you can begin to heal them. So I think the first step is to continue to not only listen to people saying things that both oppose what you believe and affirm what you believe, but really engage them. Don't engage people just to be right. Hmm. Engage people to learn why, how do people come to those beliefs that they hold and then you can work together to find a place that rests on that standard of kindness. Well, I think that you've, you've answered all the questions that we have, but is there anything else that you want to add? Any questions that uh, we should have asked, but we didn't? Um, you know, the, the, only, the only thing that I really had in my heart coming into this is just remember to hold on to each other, not push each other away. Mm -hmm. You know, in times of in times of pain, we can tend to start to see each other as the enemy rather than seeing seeing the real cause of the pain, which is mm -hmm. our separation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Noah. We yes, really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk with us. We thank do. you so much for having of me. Of course. Thank you for listening to Survive and Thrive. In the next episode, we will hear from Mike Wayland, the principal of a rural Oklahoma school, and how he is working to educate faculty and students during the pandemic. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast by searching Survive in OKLA. We are your hosts, Carolee and Brooklyn. Join us every Wednesday for new episodes. Also participating in this podcast project are Kimberly Burke, our manager, Jesse Smith, researcher and writer, Ji Xuan Fan, the social media coordinator, and Miranda Vondale, our audio engineer. This podcast is presented by Gaylord News in collaboration with the Institute for the Study of Human Flourishing.